Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Hello and welcome to These Times. I'm Tom McTague. And I'm Helen Thompson. This week we wanted to give you a bonus episode to talk about Britain's role in the emerging New World Order that we discussed in the last episode. It's a fascinating story and we really wanted to get into it this week. The United Kingdom, Australia and the United States are creating a new trilateral defence partnership known as AUKUS with the aim of working hand in glove to preserve security and stability in the Indo-Pacific. The UK, Australia and the US will be joined even more closely together, reflecting the measure of trust between us, the depth of our friendship and the enduring strength of our shared values of freedom and democracy. And just as we collaborate to protect our national security, so must we increasingly do the same to protect our economic security, on which our prosperity depends. Countries like China and Russia are willing to manipulate and exploit our openness, steal our intellectual property, use technology for authoritarian ends, or withdraw crucial resources like energy. They will not succeed. Today, we have agreed the Atlantic Declaration a new economic partnership for a new age. I think that what's really interesting about these two clips, if we think back to what we were talking about in the last episode, is just how far British policy has moved since 2008. Well, the aftermath of, of 2008, if you go back to the David Cameron's government, the first government, the, the coalition government, and say a few things about foreign policy, foreign economic policy, I would have picked two things out. The first was the move that we've talked about before to get much closer to China economically. And then on the security side, the beginning of that decade was Britain getting significantly closer to France. And because there was a bilateral defence partnership formed, the Lancaster House treaties, in some sense it was repairing 
French-British security relations after the fallout over Iraq. And yet here we are, a decade later, where we've got AUKUS, this US-UK-Australia agreement that entirely antagonised Macron, the French, (laughs) in some sense had a kind of anti-French subtext to it, at least from the British point of view. Well, definitely. I Um, think Boris played very much talked about that. Perhaps. And then we've got Sunak in Washington talking about the importance of economic security in relation to China, which is basically 100 million miles away from Xi Jinping in the royal carriage going down the mall. (laughs) Yeah, that was bugged. Remember that story? (laughs) The Chinese bugged the Queen. Yeah, I think it, it is amazing that 2008 to today, that was the arc of the last episode, and thinking about Britain's own arc over the same period, it is extraordinary. And how much we've just junked what we did under Cameron, what we did under Brown and Blair, and how we've had to really rethink our place in the world. And we've had to rethink it, I think, for two reasons. One, entirely caused by ourselves, which is Brexit, and that comes with strategic consequences. And then the second one is something completely out of our control and which would have affected us regardless of Brexit. And that is the emerging strategic rivalry between America and China. So I think it's when you look at British policy, you have to try and untangle the two and they're quite difficult. So how much has the shift away from China and towards America been caused by our isolation from Europe and the fact that old offer of being America's closest security partner in the world while also being China's closest economic partner in the West. How much has that gone because of our decision to leave the European Union? How much of it would have been untenable anyway? I think that there was a way in which the United Kingdom was always going to be in a different position in relation to China than the rest of the European Union if Kingdom stayed in the European Union and that was the Hong Kong question because clearly we have different historical and indeed economic relationship, financial relationship at least with, with Hong Kong than other European Union member states do. But I think that in order to sort of in a way answer that question that you've just posed Tom we need to think back a little bit to some other things that were going on in the coalition period and indeed, in some sense, in the aftermath of the 2008 crash. Because if we looked at it in terms of the demise of the economic decline of Europe after 2008, particularly actually on the banking side, then Britain is very much part of that European story. Yeah. It's not outside of it at all. And at the same time, is if we look at the Middle Eastern story, then I think that Britain is also at least pretty tangled up in the American weakness in the Middle East and actually in Obama's attempt to pivot away from the Middle East question. So as you've already said when we were talking earlier, that it's actually what happens to Cameron in trying to get the House of Commons to authorise military action against Syria that pushes Obama into the choices that he has to make. And I think that is quite a watershed in British foreign policy and perhaps not enough commented upon because Cameron starts wanting a fairly interventionist approach to the Middle East, both 
in pushing the Libya intervention, but also in a number of ways, I think, being much keener on intervention in Syria, even before the events of 2013 than the Obama administration is. And then that comes to a crashing halt with that vote in the House of Commons. And he didn't actually have to retreat from the vote because it was, as I recall, it was not kind of provisional, that's not quite the right yeah. way of putting it, but there was an expectation that there would be another one and maybe at that point uh, Ed Miliband would have had the Labour Party vote for or whip them to vote for supporting the intervention. But that whole interventionist approach to the Middle East just comes to a crashing halt and it's a clearer in a way perhaps line in Britain of leaving something behind thereafter than it is in the United States even though Britain does join in the military intervention against ISIS. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of a couple of things. The, the, the sort of the grand picture of how we, we're responding to a changing world order that's outside of our control. If thinking about Britain's role in all this, it, it does remind you that foreign policy isn't just something that exists in this completely separate sphere away from domestic politics. In that, both in the United States and Britain. You can only develop a foreign policy in it has to be connected to domestic interest a public opinion you can't get away from public opinion too far otherwise the foreign policy starts to become unstable so the united states it becomes untenable to follow the foreign policy that had existed before obama had come in there wasn't enough support for interventions in the middle east and the same is true in britain the iraq war and the failures in afghanistan are starting to have huge consequences in the House of Commons. And so David Cameron can't do what he wants to do. And so that's a strategic challenge. And the other one is that the consequences of David Cameron's own austerity and start to be felt. And more than that, just of British military weakness. So the Anglo-French agreement that you were talking about is also coming at a time when Britain and France have just failed in Libya. We've failed to... We can't even intervene in Libya together as two of the strongest military powers in Europe, we rely on the United States. And I think Obama's absolutely scathing about Britain and France and their capabilities at this time. So you're dealing with two things, aren't you? You're dealing with British public opinion and our own strategic weakness or our own military weakness. I think, though, that goes back in a way to this issue of the growing, if you like, multipolarity of the Middle East, you know, as a as a region, is that the United States can't successfully project power. Neither can it when it leads it to the British and the French to take the lead. I think a lot of Obama's criticism actually was unwarranted in the sense of trying to push responsibility for failure onto the the British and French as if it, the intervention didn't have anything to do with the US, which obviously was was not true. But I think that it's really noticeable that when Obama is pushing the pivot to Asia and saying the Middle East is less important for us in security terms, so we're moving more of the US Navy to ships to the Pacific, that in a way Britain steps in a bit. Because in 2014, despite what had happened in the House of Commons over Syria, is the coalition government announces that it's going to reopen a permanent naval base in Bahrain. And this yeah. is a significant shift again in British foreign policy because putting that reopening that base, it had been a base before in the post-1945 era. Withdrawing from that 
and handing effectively the base over to the Americans had been part of withdrawal from east of Suez. Yeah. So what the the Labour government had announced in 67, I think it was 67 or 68, and that the Heath government had effectively finally had implement had implemented. And here we have the British actually going back. Yeah. In a naval sense, into the Middle East, in some sense, you might say to pick up some of the slack from the Americans as they turn to Asia. But if you then said, well, is there a coherent strategy for Britain to be able to exercise more influence in the Middle East as Russian power grows there, as Chinese influence grows there? It's not so clear that there's an answer to that. It looks like British policy getting caught up in again in the wake of these American strategic shifts. Yeah, and we're constantly trying to do the same thing we always do, which is to maintain relevance in Washington, isn't it? So we want to remain useful to the United States. And I think it's easy to mock that and there's many reasons to mock that. But there is a there is also a logic to that. And we continue we continue to do it. And you had as I mentioned, you had Kissinger over in London talking to Rishi Sunak in number 10 about British foreign policy and the change in world order. And number 10 is very clear that the Americans do not want Britain to choose one theatre or the other, as in Europe or Asia. They want us to play a role in both. And as you say, picking up some slack in the Middle East. I think the question for Britain is how much do we benefit from picking up the slack like what do we get from that but i guess the answer from the british perspective is is clear that the center of the world is moving to asia economically at least europe is becoming weaker and we've taken a decision to leave the european union so it doesn't make much sense for britain to just focus entirely on europe anymore like there's there's money to be made over there and if there's one thing britain needs we need money at the moment we're not we need we need to have we need to hedge our bets don't we that's one of the that's one of the challenges that britain faces right now is how do you maintain your economic security maintain your wealth now that you have pulled out of the european union the world economy is shifting east and america is turning its attention to the east and the answer that we've come up with is AUKUS, getting closer to America, maintaining relevance in in Washington, and trying to become something of a an actor on the other side of the world. I think if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for 
value. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This goes back to the distinction we were drawing in the previous episode between the security questions and where power, geopolitical power, lies on the security side and who has it and the economic questions and again drawing a distinction between the trade side and the finance side because I think that it's pretty clear if we look at it in security terms that Britain has followed the United States into greater strategic engagement in military terms mm. in the in the Pacific. I think it's fair to say that under Boris Johnson that albeit perhaps reluctantly initially, but certainly after the effectively the Hong Kong agreement, go back to 97, that the Chinese government terminated it, that we moved into something that was quite close to the American position on economic security in regard to China, i.e. quite strong, if not necessarily decoupling, quite very strong, like de-risking. De yeah. I, I think that what you can see on the economic side from Sunak is that more caution around Chinese trade power and not being quite so willing to distance from China economically as where Johnson administration had ended up and some of that I think is then bound up with we need better relations with the European Union than there were under Johnson, including around the economic questions. But that really doesn't engage with the fact that where the trade questions are concerned, that Germany within the European Union is in such a different position than any other country within the European Union because German corporates have such a bigger presence there. Yeah. China trade is much more important it is than to, to Germany than any other European country. So if you say for Britain, okay, we're going to get a little bit closer to where the Europeans are on the economic security question, that presumes there is some kind of commonality to the European economic security position, which I, 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 I don't think is there. And that one of the things that I think has happened in the multipolar trade world is actually that China has factionalised Europe. Yeah. The, 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 Do you think on purpose, like to, to divide? I think there's some, some 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 of it. I think it has been on purpose, particularly in regard to the various of the Eastern European countries. But I think that it's the Germany story that's that, that that's that's pivotal here. And if the US is in a sense trying to challenge rising Chinese trade power, including through the Inflation Reduction Act, and trying to have a world, or not necessarily trying to have, but it's going to end up moving as implications of its policy to a world in which there's kind of like a US trade block and then there's a China trade block and, and trade just doesn't even have such even a form, formal multi multilateral structure to it. It's quite difficult to see how in that world that Britain is going to go is, go, is, is going to be able to play it 
both both ways and he's actually not really clear at all how it's going to be able to play both ways it's going to end up closer to the United States on the economic side having already committed much more on the security side to American strategic position in the Pacific yeah I think what Brexit does is it it makes trade as well as other things like immigration a, a political subject again subject to House of Commons Votes in a way that, it, that 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 was different when when you're in the European Union, and so you have the growing sort of anti-China sentiment within domestic politics and domestic public opinion that now the government has to respond to, and it's and then it has this other challenge, which is that it's the Britain is more vulnerable now that it's outside the European Union. So how do you respond to that? Well, the answer seems to be that you are merging economic and security interests. They, they, they're coming together more than they were in the European Union. That inevitably pulls you towards the United States because you are such strong security partners there. But it's, it's doing other things as well in that it's it's making Britain have to try and create a sort of network of economic partners outside of the European Union. So we've seen with Japan a closer relationship being built there. You're seeing, obviously, Sunak in Washington, which is the clip that we started with. And there he's trying to get essentially derogations from the US Inflation Reduction Act so that Britain is treated as an ally and sucked into that economic model that it that, that Biden is building. And no doubt Trump will 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 tweak, but it seems fairly set now at protectionist America, but with opt outs for, for its allies, for its security allies. And so you've got that, but I think the interesting questions for Britain now are it obviously makes sense if you're building that network of alliances with secure security partners. Europe is still a security partner and an economic ally. So how do we build a, a better relationship with Europe so that we are we have close relationship with the US, with Japan, with South Korea, Canada, Australia, all of these like-minded countries that are essentially in the American sphere of influence or the American empire to some others. So how do you build a closer relationship with Europe? And another one, which is very difficult for the Tories, is what about industrial policy? How does industrial policy play into this? Because if you're worried about your new, more exposed place in the world economy, one obvious answer is to build a, an industrial capacity at home. Yeah, I think that this is where we get into asking some more questions about what the nature of multipolarity might mean in the economic world in which we live. I mean, in some sense, is there going to be a multipolar industrial world uh, tr treating yeah. the industrial world here as being fundamentally tied like to the energy transition and clearly Britain starts in an extraordinarily difficult position in this respect because it's not got a, a big internal market like say the European Union or the United States yeah. it's not got like to some extent China and certainly the United States a strong mineral and metal base from which to do the energy transition so I think it's kind of in a way at the mercy in terms of the strategic choices it can make around this as to whether the European Union can actually be a 
a third pole in this in the trade side of this new industrial world and i think there's lots of ways in which the european union might struggle with this but it's still clearly an open question in the sense that in european capitals particularly you know like in paris perhaps there's still the hope that they will be able to avoid the choice between us centric supply chains and china centric supply Change. In that sense, the European Union as a whole can have a response, a strategic response to the Inflation Reduction Act, where it's really difficult to see how the Britain can have a strategic response to the Inflation Reduction Act, except for deciding how far it's going to accommodate itself to the United States. But a world, I think, in which there is sort of multipolarity rather than bipolarity between US and China around supply chains is going to be rather different for Britain because it would mean the European single market really came to matter and I think it's perhaps I mean that in relation to the energy transition it's unclear whether it will or whether it won't but I think until the direction of travel so to speak on that question is perhaps a little clearer then that makes some of the British choices Harder. One one thing that a an official in NATO said to me was that look when you let's think back to the very brief premiership and foreign secretaryship of Liz Truss she had this idea of of an economic NATO she basically wanted to turn the G seven into a an economic NATO by which she just meant here's an organisation of Western powers that was not the EU and it was more than the US and it included Britain that you could use that to come up with rules that could somehow protect that order and answer some of the questions that you've been talking about and obviously it would be beneficial to Britain because we'd have a seat at the table and it it overlapped with some of the things that were some of the thinking emerging in Washington so Joe Biden was talking about a group of democracies coming together an alliance of democracies Britain was talking about turning the G7 into the D10 the 10 democratic powers so that was bringing in Australia and South Korea and I think India into that group and so you could see that now this NATO official said look that, that's basically right that th- this vision is something that is fundamentally sound but I, not everyone signed up to it so the French don't like anything that basically says NATO in it and so if you say we're expanding NATO and ma- uh, or turning making a, an economic NATO they're going to run a, run a mile but you had something like the sort of strategic autonomy of the liberal democracies was the, was the phrase that he came up with and you can see that. You can see something along those lines being developed. But it depends, I guess, on how strong or weak the European Union is in this. Well, I think that's where it falls down because there's just I don't think there's any evidence that the French would be willing to think about the European Union being in this new industrial world subordinate to some idea of an economic NATO. But also I think it falls down because of the German position, which is just in this qualitatively different now economic relationship with China that you could argue now than any Western country given what's going on in the United States. So I think that in terms of like Britain's choices, that thinking that that possibility exists is is likely to turn out to be an illusion. And that the difficulty will be, I think, trying to find areas for greater cooperation with the European Union, whilst at the same time actually getting closer to the American position on on 
economic security in this over the parts of the world that we were talking earlier have got some genuinely multipolar characteristics to them do you think it's possible then? I mean, what, what, where, do, where do we get to in British foreign policy? We're drifting towards the United States, but with less power. I mean, do you think it's... Where, where, where is Britain going to be in 10 years' time? Uh, I, I, I think that it's, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be closer to the United States. But I think that the form in which that, that takes has still got a lot of things that left to 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 play itself out and that some of how this plays out i think is going to turn on how quickly that the energy transition goes and crucially whether there's going to be any real lessening of tensions between the united states and china over taiwan and what time scale the taiwan issue is going to play itself out on and I think that we're going to see that it's going to be very difficult for for Britain to take a very independent position from the United States over the over the Taiwan question. Well, we'll, well I mean, we should turn to this in a, with, a, with a full episode in in future. I, I I think listening to you there, it strikes me that if we'd have been in the European Union, we'd have this challenge of what to do about the German foreign policy, economic policy towards China and how we deal with that and our security relationship with the states. And now that we're outside of the European Union, we've got to deal with the fact that we are fundamentally more exposed in the world and how do we maintain some kind of role. But we should definitely have another episode on that because it's absolutely fascinating. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, share on social media, and shout about it to your friends and family. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.